pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen.
presence. It's nice to know we'll never be alone. Even in the fire, he'll be there. Even in the waters, he'll be there to hold him back. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. It's great to serve the living God. Amen. A living God. Yes. I talk to him and he talks back. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I can feel him. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Judah. Good job this morning. I like that song, that last one. I like them all, but I like that last one. Our children, you're dismissed. Amplified, you're staying in here with us this morning. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Justin, I like that new look, buddy. <laughs> looks all sophisticated and everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach on tithing and giving this morning. So, Queenie, lock the doors. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. But before we begin, let's define what tithing is. In both the Old and the New Testaments, the word tithe means tenth. It means a tenth. It means that you would give a tenth of your income or a tenth of your increase to the Lord and for his work. And the tithe was actually an offering of one's agricultural income to the Lord in the Old Testament because Israel was a nation of farmers and fishermen and so it was an expression of thanks and dedication and God required that the agricultural fruit of the promised land was to be tithed and there was no other form of tithe so God established the tithing system as a means of providing his priests the Levites or the Levitical tribe that supported the priests and worked in the ministry It was also for the stranger, the fatherless, the widows, and all who would travel or live within the gates. So there's a promise that's attached to giving tithes and offerings, and that was that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. So in other words, when you give a tenth of your crops and livestock to the work of the Lord, he'll bless the other 90%. But I want to ask you a question this morning, and then hopefully we'll answer it somewhere through this message this morning. And this is the question. Are we obligated to tithe in the New Testament? And the short answer is no, we are not. And I'll tell you why. It's because God would never obligate us or make us do anything. He created us with a free will, and he always gives us a choice as to whether or not we're going to do something or obey his commandments or obey the word. And that includes the tithe. And he would never coerce or obligate us or force us to do anything. That's what the enemy does, and God is nothing like him. So if you choose not to do something, whether it's tithing or anything else, God will honor it. He won't stop it. And, and God would never try to force an unwilling person to do anything. So we shouldn't do it either. Amen? Amen? As a matter of fact, when you try to coerce 
or force somebody to do something or talk somebody into something that they don't want to do, it's actually defined as witchcraft. So we don't want to get involved in that. And when some pastors preach on tithing, and if I've ever done this, I apologize in advance, but a lot of pastors, when they preach on tithing, they make God sound like a tax collector and a tyrant. And God is not a tax collector or a tyrant. Uh, and nor does he demand your obedience. But let me ask you another question, as long as I'm asking questions this morning. If you place your trust and your eternity in his hands, why wouldn't we want to give back to him? Yes. Whether it's in the form of a tithe or any other kind of giving, why wouldn't we want to? That's right. Let's see what the word says about tithing. And one of the questions I want to answer is, can we find tithing in the New Testament, or is tithing just an Old Testament practice? In the Old Testament, the tithe, tithe was paid as one's annual produce from the land. And in addition, there was always provision for free will offerings and offerings of other kinds and personal giving above and beyond what the tithe was, so that the tithe would never stand by itself. And uh, But let me say this, the principle of tithing is good, whether it's required or not. Whether it's a commandment, whether it is a law, it doesn't make any difference. The principle of tithing is good because, for one thing, it acknowledges and accepts God's authority yes. and his sovereignty. Yes. When I give, whether it's a tithe or just a generous offering, I'm honoring God and I'm acknowledging that he's sovereign over my life. That's right. And the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy set out the tithes and offerings requirement to the early Israelites in order for them to receive the blessings of God. See, uh, back then things were conditional on their obedience. But that's how it is under the law. In Genesis 14, 20, uh, he said... Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of all. Yes. Who's he talking about? Melchizedek. He met Melchizedek on the road back from a victory where he defeated five kings and their kingdoms and armies. And Melchizedek said, blessed be Abram. God of Most High. And this is the first mention of in Scripture of giving 10%. And uh, this is where we're introduced to Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ. He's the king of Salem, who the Scriptures identify as a priest of God Most High. And that word was translated from El Elyon, which means Sovereign Lord. So Abram's on his way home from a successful battle where he defeated those five kings in their kingdoms. And he took a lot of spoil from those kingdoms. He took everything that they had. And so Melchizedek meets him on the road, and he has communion with Abram. And he brings out the bread and the wine, and he blesses Abram. And Abram, in return, give a tithe of all the spoils from the kings that he defeated. But this tithe was voluntary, unlike the tithe that was made a part of the commandment 
uh, that would come later in the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. But let me read Malachi 3, 6 through 9 to you. And then I want to explain something about this. He says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob or Israel. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. They were disobedient. <clears throat> return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So there's a conditional promise there. And who had the first move? Israel did. You return to me, I'll return to you. And so, uh, but you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. As a result, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, I've used this passage of scripture before when teaching on tithing, and a lot of preachers do, and, and most preachers will beat their congregations over the head with this passage of scripture, and they've done it for years. In other words, if you don't tithe, bless God, you're, you're robbing God, and you're under a curse. But does that sound like God? But Malachi is speaking to disobedient kings and hard-hearted Israelites who were returning from 70 years of captivity, and they were in captivity because of their disobedience and their rebellion. So Nehemiah led Judah's people back to Jerusalem, and Malachi, who's the last prophet of the Old Testament, issued this stern warning from God to those returning refugees who needed to be taught and needed discipline. And let me insert this. It's estimated that 20% of every congregation in America bears the cost for 100% of the church's budget or the ministry's budget, any ministry for that matter. 20% of the people support the 100% of the church. And I think we should all be helping out, but I would never say that the other 80% are robbing God. I may have said it in the past. I hope I didn't. But if I did, like I said, I apologize. But actually, we shouldn't be using Malachi chapter 3 to teach tithing to the New Testament church. Acts chapter 4 tells us about giving uh, or the giving habits of the early church, uh, the New Testament church. Israel was the Old Testament church. And it says they sold everything they had and laid it at the feet of the apostles to distribute as everyone had need. So everything is a whole lot more than a tenth, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But this is New Testament giving. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was for a specific time, a specific reason. The church is just getting started. It was struggling. And there was plenty of needs, more needs than there was income. And so... These people volunteered to do that. God didn't demand them to do it, didn't command them to do it. They did it on their own. And God doesn't ask us to sell everything. But Jesus left us with a commission. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
So going, telling, baptizing, and teaching takes money. Money that God provides by giving you and I the abilities, the, ta the talents, the anointing, and the grace to earn a living. Not just for ourselves and our families, but also to support his church and his ministers and his missionaries. And if you don't believe that's true, I, I can say with confidence that almost everybody in this room is about one month away from the unemployment line. You lose your job, and it would be, and in a month, you uh, well, you'd be collecting unemployment. But in a month, you would be in need, in great need. Some of us only two weeks. Some of us live from week to week. So don't think it can't happen to you. It can. Amen. You can find yourself in great need in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me that God doesn't sustain us and provide for us. Amen. Right. And, and I'm not saying that as a, a threat. I'm saying that so that we recognize but for God yes, we oh, could be in that line. That's right. The unemployment line and the soup line at the same time. Yes. So uh, Matthew says this. And uh, so let me say this before I read Matthew. In addition to your tithe being an acknowledging of God blessing your life and being sovereign in your life, I wonder if tithing could also be a tool that could measure our hearts or measure or be a barometer for our hearts measure the condition of our hearts in Matthew 6 19 it says uh, Jesus said this do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal there's no place safe on the earth for you to invest your money there's no place safe on the earth where you could hide your money, where it would be safe, especially from God. You can't hide your money from God. Then he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Now there's a guarantee. There's a good place to invest money where where uh, it's not exposed to rust, the moths can't get to it, the thieves can't get to it, and it's being watched over. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So your treasures or your money or your savings or the things that you value down here have a whole lot to do with the condition of your heart. You store treasure in heaven by giving down here. We bought some guy's his breakfast this morning in the line of Starbucks, so that's money laid up in heaven. Now, I, that's treasure laid up in heaven. Any kind of giving lays up treasure in heaven for you. I wonder if there's going to be any poor people in heaven. <laughs> God created a very good world. How do I know that? He says so himself six times in the first chapter of Genesis. God saw everything that he made and said it was good. And at the end, as a matter of fact, he said it was very good. But in Genesis chapter 3, not too far from chapters 1 and 2, 
everything changed because of Eve's disobedience and Adam or Eve's deception and Adam's disobedience. Eve wasn't disobedient when she ate of that fruit because the commandment not to eat it wasn't given to her. But Adam was guilty of disobedience because the commandment was given to him and he disobeyed it. And so uh, sin entered God's perfect world, God's good world, just like he warned and said that it would if they eat of the fruit. And then in chapter 4, and we just recently studied on this, we find the first mention of an offering. Cain brought fruit and Abel brought a firstborn lamb from his flock. Abel's offering was respected by God, but Cain's was not. And so uh, Abel's offering was respected when Cain's wasn't because Abel was obedient and gave the recommended offering by God revealed as acceptable for sin. But Cain had no regard for divine instruction. He disobeyed God and his instruction, and he gave what he wanted to give, when he wanted to give it, in the manner that he wanted to give it. And you know, anytime we approach God, as we were taught early on with the tabernacle in the wilderness, there is a specified way to approach him. And that is the only way that we can approach him. You're in danger of losing your life and your soul anytime you approach him any other way. And we know that Jesus Christ is our New Testament tabernacle. And if we want to approach God, we have to do it through Jesus Christ. And you remember I said that Jesus was our mediator. Uh, and he was the only one that could take the hand of God and the hand of man and bring them together in himself. That's the meeting place with God is in Jesus Christ. If you try to climb up any other way or try to meet with God any other way, you're going to be rejected and there will be consequences for it. So we have a prescribed way to approach God. And this is what he taught Adam and Eve. And this is what Adam and Eve taught his children. And I, I don't think he just taught Abel and not Cain. That wouldn't be a very good father. I think they both knew what the acceptable offering was. So Cain gets angry with God and rejects the opportunity that God gave him to repent and do the right offering. He rejected that. Instead, he became angry and jealous with his brother. And as a result, he killed him and God cursed Cain. So we can see here that tithing reveals something about the condition of our heart. People's hearts aren't right because they think tithing was designed to bless the church, the pastor, to bless God, when it's the exact opposite. Tithing was designed to bless you and to bless me. God don't need your money. Uh, the church needs your money. The ministry needs your money because, like I said, if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission and, and baptize and go and teach and Mission, uh, uh, be missionaries to the world, it takes money. The airlines don't say, oh, you're a missionary, you fly free. You don't hear that. Uh, LGEV never told me, oh, you're a church, well, we're not going to charge you for electricity. No, we have to uh, pay bills just like everybody else. And this is God's design for supporting the church, the ministry, and his ministers. It's through generous giving. <coughs> Uh, you may even say through tithing. 
But uh, the long story short is that I would never tell you not to tithe. Even if it's not required in the New Testament, even if it's not a commandment because there's just too many benefits uh, and blessings attached to tithers or people that give. So you can call it a tithe, you can call it giving, you can call it whatever you want. I would never discourage that. But if you choose not to tithe because you believe it's Old Testament and so you're not under any obligation to do so, then let me show you what New Testament giving looks like. Turn to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verses 6 through 8. This is the Apostle Paul teaching the church at Corinth. He says, but this I say, this first part is going to be in the King James, and then I'm going to do the last verse in the Amplified to bring out more clarity. But this I say, he which sows sparingly, gives sparingly, shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, Paul is talking about sowing here, which Israelite and the early church understood because, like I said, Israel was a, a farming nation and a fishing nation. So they know what it meant to be a farmer. They knew that if I sow a small amount of seed, I'm only going to have a small amount of harvest. But if I sow a lot of seed in a larger field, I'll have a larger, more bountiful harvest. So they understood this type of land. And verse 7 says, And God is able to make all grace... Now see, there's and, it's a conjunctive, conjunctive word, so it's connecting chapter uh, verse 6 with verse 7. And God, if you're a uh, cheerful giver that's not given grudgingly or out of necessity, then he says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. How many know we need grace? Yeah. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. In yeah. other words, all sufficiency in all things means that I'm always going to have enough. Yeah. Not only for myself, but also for some yes. good work. Amen. Amen. I will never do without. That's I right. will never have any lack in my life. And then verse 8 in the Amplified says this, And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance. And and God. So we're still connecting these things here. You got to be a cheerful giver, uh, not giving out of uh, necessity, not giving grudgingly, but you're giving willingly out of a good heart. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient. Possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. So in other words, I will be self-sufficient. I won't have to rely on anybody to support me. I won't have to rely on the government to give me food stamps or benefits of any kind. 
Nothing wrong with them if you need them. That's what they're there. They're there for. Right. But what I'm saying is that if I am a cheerful giver, yes. like the Bible describes, yes. then God is going to make sure I'll be self-sufficient, never yes. have to right. ask anybody for anything. Amen. As a matter of fact, I'll be furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable contribution. Yes. So not only will I have enough for myself, I'll be all-sufficient, yes. self-sufficient, yes. supporting myself and my family. Yes. I will have an abundant leftover yes. to give to good works and charitable contributions. Yes. That's New Testament, right? 2 yes. Corinthians. So God's only son sacrificed himself. He gave himself for our sins. So if we trust and obey what Jesus offered so that God would forgive our sins, then why wouldn't we be eager to give back to him just a portion of all he's given to us? Yes. We shouldn't have to be talked into giving. Nope. Remember opening question, am I obligated to tithe? I say, no, you're not obligated to tithe. As a matter of fact, tithing is not the New Testament standard forgiving and I think more than any other factor our giving reflects like I said the condition of our hearts yes, it does. remember Jesus said where your treasure is there will your heart be also well my treasure is in heaven my treasure is in Jesus Christ and that's where my heart is yes. and you can fake a lot of things yes, you but can. you can't fake giving especially when it comes to your money you may get upset with me when I say this, but if you give less than 10% of your income, or even if you give a full 10% to the Lord's work, in most cases, it reflects a lukewarm heart at best. Let me tell you why I said that. Pastor Ed and I used to give 10%, and we thought we were doing good. We thought God was pleased with us, and he was. Because we thought we were doing what was right. But as we grew in the word, we discovered that God's word teaches that we should stop tithing. Because God wants us to give generously. And you can't do that if you're just tithing. Because tithing is the bare minimum. That's right. So we haven't tithed in years. We've always gave more than the tithe. Not always, but when we first started out, like I said, we were tithing. But for years now, we've been giving above and beyond the tithe because we don't want that to be our standard of giving. Uh, tithing would be an obligation. God doesn't want us to be obligated to anything. So don't get me wrong. Tithing is a noble thing to do because those who tithe are often, like Pastor Ed and I, were acting in obedience to what we thought God's word said, and God honors that. But tithing uh, develops consistency in our giving. And that's what we need in life. In all things, we need consistency. If you discipline your kids, that's good. But if you don't do it consistently, that's, that's not it. good. Come on. And if you give, that's good. But if you don't do it consistently, that's not good. Yes. And I know just like with your household, you have to have a consistent uh, income that you can count on every week or every two weeks, every month, however you get paid. 
because your bills are coming consistently yes, without are. fail every every so often during the month amen and so it's the same with the church if you know if we give haphazardly or willy-nilly uh then there's going to be times when we can't meet our commitments and there was a time when this church would rob from peter to pay paul and we said let's pay this one now uh it's when miss jean was working for us as a secretary karen's mo mother uh, and her and pastor would come in the office and say, all right, here's what we got. These are all the bills that are due. Here's, here's what's in the bank. And we would sit there and, and, and determine which was a priority, and we'd list them as priorities and say, all right, we can pay these five, but we have to wait till next week to pay these, you know. And, and thank God those days, we haven't done that for a long time. Uh, Things seem a little tight now for the church, uh, and I'm not begging for money. Uh, I'm just letting you know the church is no different than your business, your household. And, and you know, you're feeling inflation. The church is feeling inflation, too. It's hurting everybody. And so we're at the place now where, uh, you know, we have an eight or $900 electric bill every month, where we used to have $500 electric bill. Yeah, even four at times, you know. I mean, uh, we we invested a lot of time and money in changing all these lights. These are all LEDs. They hardly burn. They don't burn very much electricity. I don't want to say they hardly burn anything. But they don't burn nearly as much as the old lights. And we cut our electric bill $150, $200 a month with all these LEDs and stuff. Uh, we got programmable thermostats that turn the heat on and off as we need it. So we're not heating this building all week when we're not in it. We're keeping it warm enough so the pipes don't freeze, but uh, everything's at a minute. We're doing everything we can, and yet we still get an 800 something dollar electric bill. And I know yours went up, ours went up 130%. Yes. Now inflation only went up 7.5%, but our bills are going up 130%, so I don't know what kind of math they're using, but it's not the same math that they're requiring us to use. So uh, th if things are tight for you, you can bet they're tight for us. Amen? But uh, those that, and this is another benefit of tithing, if you're disciplined enough to tithe, then uh, most people that tithe usually have a disciplined life as well because tithing is one of the most difficult uh, things to overcome. And if you can overcome giving your money away, you can overcome anything in life. Because, you know, giving your money is tougher than any other discipline that you have. And that's why I say if you can discipline yourself in tithing, you can discipline yourself in anything else in your life. And it shows in people. You know, uh, people that tithe consistently have a disciplined lifestyle. I'm not saying they're perfect, but I'm saying they're disciplined. Amen? That's another great benefit of being a tither. Uh, but remember, tithing is not the New Testament standard for giving. And there's no direct instructions to the church about tithing, but there's a lot said about giving. Uh, the tithe plays such an important role in the Old Testament, you think it would carry over into the New Testament, but it's surprising to discover that tithing 
is never mentioned one time to the church in the New Testament. And I know you're thinking of Jesus' scripture where he told the, uh, the Pharisees and that, that they tithe the mint and anise and, and all of this, but they overlooked the weightier matters of the law. But Jesus was in the Old Testament. The Gospels are in the New Testament, but they were in Old Testament times. And Jesus was talking to Old Testament Jews. And he was under the law himself, so he had to obey the law. But you don't see any instructions to the church about tithing. Paul writes about sharing material possessions to care for the needs of the poor and to sustain the Christian ministry, which includes the church. And he urges and, co and commends generosity, but he never demands that any specific amount be given, like 10%. If tithing is to be practiced by the church, it seems strange that Paul never mentioned it in any of the letters he wrote to the church. And that church was made up mostly, I won't say mostly, but a great deal of that early church was made up of Gentiles. People that came from the world weren't, weren't um, versed in Judaism or, or Jewish religion or anything like that. So they had no idea about the Old Testament tithe. And Paul didn't teach them anything about tithing. So if the early church practiced tithing, then the concept of it should have surfaced somewhere in Paul's teachings, and you can't find it. Or the writings of the other apostles, you can't find it. But yet it doesn't, even though giving was an important part of the Christian church, because like I said, it's a newly formed church. They're just starting out. Uh, they don't have buildings and chairs and printers and computers and uh, overheads and all of that. They didn't have any equipment for the church. They were starting from scratch. So they needed a lot of money. And yet Paul didn't say anything about them tithing. And here's what I believe. And that's that tithing, although it's good, and I'd recommend it to anybody, and I would never tell anybody not to tithe, but it puts the wrong emphasis on giving because it emphasizes an obligation to God and makes him look like a tax collector. New Testament giving, as we read, is to come from the heart. It's to be cheerful, generous, and willful not grudgingly or of necessity or out of obligation. See, feeling obligated to give is the exact opposite of the New Testament standard for giving. Because the New Testament standard is to give from your heart, willfully, cheerfully. So if there's any drawback on tithing, it's this. Tithing has a tendency to put people on a legal basis. And we shouldn't be bound to the laws and we shouldn't be bound to the to the legal matters of the finances of the church but rather we should be giving out of a loving relationship that we have with the Lord and what he's done for us so it leads us to believe that 10% of our income belongs to God and we've taught this before because that's what a tithe means it belongs to God don't touch it God had a lot of things that belonged to him. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, things in the tabernacle, he said, don't mess with this, it's mine. So you don't touch things that belong to God. And he mentioned that the tithe was one of them. Don't touch the tithe, it belongs to me. 
But again, that was the Old Testament. But when we believe that 10% of our income belongs to God, then we think the other 90% belongs to us. But it doesn't. It all belongs to God. The whole 100% belongs to God. But if you want to tithe, that means you give him 10% of all your income. That means uh, before taxes. Because if you give him uh, your net instead of your gross, then that means Uncle Sam got the first fruits or got the tithe. Right. And God got the leftovers. So we give him off the gross, the whole thing, the 10%. But it may cause us to ignore and feel like we've already fulfilled our obligation to the Lord. We gave our 10%. That's all you're getting. That's all you require. The other 90 is mine. And you have to bless it. Because that's basically Old Testament teaching. But what is God's standard for giving? Generous, generous heart. Cheerful, systematic, consistent giving is the New Testament standard. But it doesn't tell us an amount. So in order to be a giver like this, your giving shouldn't be random and irresponsible. That's why it has to be consistent. Paul gives us specific instructions on the best time to present your offerings to the church. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, he says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, so apparently they wrote Paul and asked him a question. He says, You should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, which is what? Sunday. You should each put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. How much is a portion? Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's different for everyone. What I purpose in my heart may be different than what you purpose in your heart. But don't forget, you have the Holy Ghost living where? In your heart. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, <coughs> in the King James Version, we just read it in New Living, he says, upon the first day of the week, Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So your giving is in proportion to what God has prospered you or what God has allowed you to earn, but it doesn't say anything about a percentage. Also keep in mind that when we give, God deserves our best, yes, yes. not just what's convenient. Amen. And you know us from the past, we've had garage sales and stuff, and the first thing we told you, if you're donating to the garage sale, don't bring no junk and don't bring your garbage. If it's junk and it's garbage, put it in the junkyard or in the garbage. Bring the church something good to sell. Amen? Because we're representing God. And we're not going to set up a table out there with a bunch of junk and garbage on it. We want to give God our best. It could be used. God don't have a problem with that. Uh, but it should be in good repair. It should be decent. Amen? It shouldn't be clothing with holes. Well, nowadays... It would raise the value of a pair of Levi's if it's full of holes. But you know what I'm saying. 
But if we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, like we're told to do, and we should, then we don't just give him what's left after we paid our bills. If there's anything left. God deserves first place. First fruits. Our best. And our giving should never be like Cain's, which was sloppy and irresponsible, haphazard, and, uh, whenever we feel like it. If we feel like it. If we have anything left over. We should give generously and we should give joyfully. This is New Testament giving I'm telling you about. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. And then in Galatians 5.18 it says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Praise the Lord, Pastor, there it is. I'm not under the law, so I don't have to tithe. Okay, let's say that's true. I've already told you you don't have to tithe. You don't have to do anything. But Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit leading the believer in righteous, godly living. Isn't that what he said? Uh, in Galatians chapter 6, if you take it in context and read it to the end of the chapter, you'll find out that righteous living is spelled out explicitly in the context. It means, and it also includes, sharing financial resources. Don't take my word for it. Read Galatians chapter 6. Paul said in Galatians 6, 6 and verse 10, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. So it's easier in some ways to follow a set of rules. Just tell me what I'm supposed to give and I'll give it. Mm -hmm. That's a wrong attitude and a wrong heart. I'll just give you the 10% that you asked for. And that should take care of everything. Don't ask me for nothing else. See, that's why tithing is dangerous. God wants us to be led in our giving. And we've always told you that in this church. We said, you know, uh, just like <coughs> with some of the special projects we had here, we said, be led in your giving. If you're not led to give anything, don't give anything. But if you're led by the Spirit to give $100, give $100. Not 90, not 110. Give $100 because that's what the Spirit told you to give. Amen. And, and Nobody can give to everything. Uh, you, you'll be need, in need of somebody giving something to you if you did that. So God is specific. He'll say, you give this and you give that. And I know you got something coming up so you don't give anything. And you give this amount and you give that. As every man purposes in his heart where the Holy Spirit is living and giving you direction and leading and guiding you. So look to your heart. There's times where we have special offerings, Pastor Ed and I. And she'd say, you pray and I'll pray, and then let's see what we come up with. And we would both pray, and then she'd say, what did God tell you to give? And sometimes we'd even write it down. So there was no, you know, well, I'll just say what she says. So, that, you know, no. And we would both have the same exact amount. That's spirit-led giving. And then we would give that joyfully because we knew we were doing the right thing. Amen. 
So, uh, like I said, it's easier to just say, well, I'll just give 10% and that'll be the end of it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But no, that ain't how it works. Uh, see, it all belongs to God, right? And if we think that 90% of it belongs to us, then when God taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to give 30% of that 90 that you left with to this particular cause or whatever, we would have a problem with that. That's not spirit-led giving. Pastor Ed and I have given money like this, and I'm not talking about 10 or 20 bucks to buy somebody a Starbucks. I'm talking about thousands of dollars that we've given because the Lord led us to do that. We've given cars away. As a matter of fact, we've given four or five cars away. We never uh, trade a car in or sell it or, or anything like that. Uh, I won't say never. We did it one time. But normally, when, when we're ready for a new car, we just give our other one away, uh, the one that we're coming out of. We just give it away. And the Lord at times will tell us who to give it to, and that's who we give it to. Uh, Pastor Ed has given jewelry away. We're sitting there. I bought her a nice ring one time. And uh, she took it off her finger and gives it to this girl in the wheelchair. And I'm like, that ring I bought you. The Lord told me to give it. The Lord told you to give it. I'm not going to say not to. And, and we've done that before. But you know what? God was setting us up for a need that we were going to have in the future, and we were sowing towards that need, whether we knew it or not. And there was times when we struggled with giving because we weren't sure. But when, once we realized that, yeah, it's God, you know, he, he nudged us or gave us a sign, we know, yeah, it's God, let's do it. We always did it. And I'm telling you, we've always been blessed. It might, might not be a week or a month or two months after, might have been a couple of years after that, but bam, we'd get a blessing when we needed it, and it, the Lord would bring it back to our, our remembrance. You remember that ring? You remember that car? You remember this? This is the, the harvest from. So I, we always try to be led in our giving, and, and never give willy-nilly or something, but if, if even when we're in doubt, you know, uh, we would still give, and then you know, just kind of err on the side of caution. You know what I'm saying? And God would give us credit for that giving. It would be treasure laid up in heaven because yes. our heart was right. Yes. So anyway, it's kind of scary when you're being led by the Spirit in your giving because he may require you to give more than 10%. Yes. Yes. But again, it's all his anyway. We're just stewards of it. Right. God says, hey, listen, I need you to give this amount. Wait a minute, I already gave my 10%. I fulfill my obligation. No, that's where tithing becomes dangerous. Right. I don't want to live by a regulation or a rule or an obligation. I want to live by a loving relationship that I have with the Lord. Amen. Now, in this church, I pray we have never done it. I don't think we've ever used pressure or gimmicks to get you to give. God told us a long time ago when we started the church that if you ever have a special need, not just talking about the electric bill and the water bill and all that stuff, but a special need, like the roof, a new roof, a parking lot, a new sound system, these types of needs that we've had in, in times past, he said, you just present the need to the people and they'll fulfill it. And that's all we ever did. Say, hey, we need a new roof. 
this is what it's going to cost, and you guys just gave. And we paid them off in record time. And same the sound system, everything that we did. We never begged you. We never, matter of fact, uh, I think it was a roof. We took pledges. Oh. Yeah, and then when it comes to the sound system, I said, you make your own pledge towards God, and then you keep it. It's between you and God. You don't have to pledge anything to us or, or me. If you, if you pledge and do $100 a month, great. It's up to you. It's between you and God. And we didn't keep record of pledges or anything like that. You know, you gave out of your heart, and we received it, and we paid the roof and the sound system and the parking lot off. As a matter of fact, we just recently uh, paid the sound system off. So uh, we've always done that in, in special projects, and you guys have always come through for us. So. We're not going to use gimmicks, or we're not going to say that, you know, uh, this bottle of water here is uh, from the Red Sea. And for a contribution of $50, it could be yours, and you could bless your house with it, you know. Uh, it's funny, but these are gimmicks that they use. And uh, as a matter of fact, I tell you to refuse to give to any organization that uses pressure and, and fundraising gimmicks like that. We'll send you a piece of cloth from Jesus Shroud, or we'll send you a gallon of water from the Red Sea, or we'll send you whatever, this holy thing. And I, I tell you right now, don't give to them. Yeah, but, you know, if, if you don't give and give generously, then we might not be on the air next month. Then go off the air. You don't belong on the air. And if you got to beg for money, you stay on the air. Amen? And it's just like with this church. If you stop giving... I close the door and go home. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to sweat it. I'm not going to grieve over it. I, I'm not going to be happy with it. But I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Amen? So, <laughs> I feel anointing starting to lift. <laughs> but if you believe in this church and you call it home, then you should give generously as God has prospered you. And if God hasn't prospered you, don't give. If you don't think God deserves it, don't give. Because you'd be giving out of a wrong heart. Do it out of love for him. Besides, we want you giving to be because of your relationship with God, not based on an obligation or an Old Testament law, but in response to your love for him. Uh, you know, when you have a love relationship with somebody, you want to give. God so loved the world that he gave his best. He gave his only son to save, not the church, not a righteous Christian trying to do what's right, but the world. He gave yes. his son to save yes. the world. Yes. Why? Because he loved the world. Amen. And because he loved, he gave. So yes. when you love, you give. Yes, period. You I don't think you give to anybody you don't like. Let him fend for himself. I remember what he did to me 37 years ago. I ain't giving him nothing. But don't assume because we don't use pressure, we don't have needs. You know, I believe it is legitimate to inform the church of the needs that we have as a church. 
And uh, then we just leave it up to you so that you can give wisely. And you know, we have a special offering for the building maintenance fund. And some people give into that. It's a special offering above and beyond the tithe to help us to get the grass cut and uh, paint this or replace a light or, or fix a toilet. Uh, it's a special fund. And by us telling you that we have a need for that because there's not enough uh, in the general budget to do a lot of these things, then you people respond by giving into the building fund. And so whenever we have a, a need uh, of a repair in the building or something like that or some type of maintenance, we draw it from that fund and it doesn't hurt the general fund when we get an $850 electric bill. Amen? But we would love to, as a church, be able to give more to support organizations that help people. Uh, we can't help everybody, but we can support those that do. We can't go all in, into all the world, but we can support those that do send people into the world. And that's what we do. Uh, you know, Dare to Care feeds the poor. Recenter Center Ministries not only feeds the poor, but houses homeless people and has programs to, to heal addicts. And then we have our missions that we uh, give offerings through Rama because Rama is all over the world, a hundred something nations in the world. They have missionaries all over the world. So that's a good field for us to sow the church's money in. And, and, and we do that generously every month, but we would like to do more. Amen, why? Because we're laying up treasures in heaven, not just for the church, but for every one of you that give. It's a treasure that goes to heaven. So you won't be poor when you get there. <laughs> but I believe the way to meet these needs is to help God's people get their hearts right before him. And that's what I'm teaching today. I don't care if you tithe or don't tithe. I don't care if you consider the tithe to be uh, New Testament standard or Old Testament or it doesn't make any difference. I will tell you that tithing is good for the reasons I told you. It, it provides discipline. It acknowledges God as being sovereign and you're putting him first. That's what's great about tithing because the first 10% of whatever it is goes to him. But if you're going to place yourself under the law, then you have to obey all the law. So you have to give them 10% of your time, 10% of everything. 10% of everything. And we don't want to be under obligation. We want to do those things because we love him. Amen? And as we respond to God's grace by giving generously, then our needs will be met. I'm going to close with this. Pastor Ed and I have trusted God tested him and tried him for over 38 years now. That's when we started tithing was 38 years ago. And like I said, for a number of those years, we just gave the 10% because that's all we thought we were required to do. Uh, but then we realized that we want to give generously according to the New Testament standard and that is always above and beyond a 10% tithe. And God has always proven himself to be faithful to us in our times of need. And there was times where we gave our last penny and had, and it was money that was obligated to something else that would have, would come due in just a few days or a few weeks. And out of faith, we gave the last penny. 
And God, right before that commitment was due, he would supply it for us and plus some. Never failed us, never failed us. Uh, I think I told you this before, but Pastor Eric used to have her own daycare. And she had to turn business away. I was in the workforce for almost 60 years and never lost one job. But in every position I had, God always moved me up and into a better position with better pay and better benefits. Never backwards. When I changed jobs, it was because I wanted to. And, and, you know, a lot of times we want God to bless us, but then he offers us an opportunity. We say, no, I'm happy where I am. He can't bless you where you're at sometimes. You have to take a chance and move. You know, uh, we quit our job, our, our daycare, and our my job with UPS and went to Raymond. I got a job with Walmart. But I did that willingly, not because I had to, not because I lost a job. And then we come here and I got a job with Roadway, and then God moved me up, and I got a job with K&T where Paddywhack works. And so it's always been up and better, never down or less. And God has always blessed us like that. He's always protected our income, and we have never done without, never. So if you want to tell us that tithing or generous giving doesn't work, it's too late. <laughs> Can't convince me otherwise. So if you're tithing or giving generously as the New Testament directs us to do, uh, and you're doing it for any other reason be besides your love for God, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And this hurts to even say it, but keep your money because you're going to need it. Amen. But we want you to give because God gives to you. And we want you to give because you have a relationship with God and you love him and you love the work that he's doing in the world. Uh, and, you know, uh, you love your church. That's the reason you give. Keep the lights on. Keep the heat going. Keep the building in good repair. Keep the grass cut. I mean, that's our responsibility as a church. God entrusted this to us, but it's like Pastor Ed and I said, I know I sounded a little cocky before when I said, if, if we can't pay the bills, I'll just close the door. That's because of, of something we told the Lord years ago when we started the church. We said, this is your church. This is your responsibility. We'll watch over it and we'll do as you direct us to do, but we're not taking on the burden of the finances or anything like that. And I sleep like a baby every night. I don't worry about the finances or bills being paid or not being paid in this church because we really believe that it's his responsibility and that's what we're resting in. And whenever we have a need, I say, God, you got a problem. It's not my problem. We need a new roof. He said, tell the people. And I'll speak to them. And that's how God does it. I tell you the need, God speaks to you, and you give as you purpose in your heart. Amen? Now, I didn't do this to pull an offering because we already took the offering before this message today. Amen? So you can't accuse me of that. But we love you guys and appreciate you. And for a small, smaller church, we do very good in the giving department. I say that 30% of our people provide 100% of the needs in this church. Uh, and, and 
that's not saying the rest of us don't give. We all give. But you just have to ask yourself, are you giving according to the New Testament standard and for the reasons that the New Testament tells us to give? And if you answer that question honestly, you'll find out we all have room for more giving. Amen? And not just here. After you've uh, given to your church generously and the support of the ministry and you've given to the Lord, you laid up your treasures in heaven, if you see a need out there in the street, you should fulfill that need too. You see somebody needs help, help them. See somebody that's hungry, feed them. See somebody that needs uh, shelter, get them to a shelter. Support a shelter. Do something for them. Help, help your neighbor. And again, be led, because you can't help everybody. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. And, you know, as much as you might want to give to everybody, help everybody, you can't do it. So just ask God, who do you want me to help? What do you want me to do? Uh, and same thing with panhandlers. We see so many panhandlers nowadays. And, and some of them are legit, and a lot of them are not. A lot of them are scamming people, you know. So again, you have to ask yourself. I, I've given the pan, panhandlers before, but I'd ask the Lord. I'd say, Lord, should I give to this guy? And if I feel impressed, I'll give to him. Sometimes I just got nothing, so I just kept going. I didn't give him anything. And uh, But if you're in doubt, give him a little something. Err on the side of caution. Because like I said, even if you didn't need it, God will give you credit for it. He'll lay it up in heaven for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. God, thank you for the word that's come forth today. God, we believe your word is true. If you said it, that settles it. Doesn't make any difference how, what we think about it, how we feel about it. If you said we're to be generous givers, we're to be generous givers. It's plain and simple as that. So we thank you, Father, that you've opened our eyes to some things and Lord, you know I didn't do it to increase the giving or increase the income of this church, but it's just like Paul said, I did it so that fruit may abound to your account, the people's account, not mine, not the church's, and not even yours. But Lord, you said when we give, you will give back to us. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So we thank you for your promises, your blessings, but that's not the reason we give. We give because we love you. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. God bless y'all. We love you and appreciate you. Keep those cards and letters coming. And we'll see you next week. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.